so, so, so glad to have you. This morning, we are continuing a series that we've been in that we are simply calling Freedom. And uh, in this series, we've spent some time walking through uh, Galatians chapter 5 in the New Testament, the ninth book of the New Testament, the fifth chapter. And in this, our desire is to just take steps towards what it looks like to experience and enjoy the freedom that Jesus Christ has won for us um, on the cross. We want this to be more than just something we hear about and, you know, talk about, but something that we start to experience together. And uh, we're in week number three and uh, looking forward to continuing our, our conversation here this morning. But before we do that, we had issued a challenge just encouraging you uh, to consider memorizing one of the key verses in uh, Galatians chapter 5. In fact, it's the first verse in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm curious to know, has anyone even taken enough steps that they're like, I feel like I know this verse. And not only that, I am willing to stand up in front of all of these people and give it a stab. I'm curious to know, A, diligence and the love of Jesus in the room, and B, levels of courage. Anyone feel like, I? and by the way, if you're wrong, we'll point, we'll laugh, we'll mock you. Nothing a little counseling can't fix. Um, no, but really, I mean, you'll be among friends. It's a safe place. People will probably um, help you along if you get stuck. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, this morning, our first service, Jerry Hepler, um, of course, if you know who she is, then you know she was not only happy, you know, to memorize the verse, but was happy um, to, to share it. So I'm trying, I feel like I'm getting close. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attempt it, um, and we can put it up on the screen behind me, and uh, just again, so you know, I do not have eyes in the back of my head. So help me out if I get stuck. Um, hopefully I don't. Um, you're paid to know the Bible. Stop judging. Come on. You didn't stand up. Um, <laughs> Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Was that close? Make some noise for me somebody. <laughs> Woo! Um, honestly, this is such a great verse, not just so we know it, but so it seeps into our heart and it becomes something that informs the way that we live. So I'd encourage you, kids, learn this. Um, let's learn this together. We still have, you know, a few weeks um, to get this down, which is a good segue, by the way, uh, because as we continue, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And when we get there, Paul is actually going to repeat this idea we just saw. He's going to revisit it. And so if you've missed any of the weeks, by the way, I would encourage you to catch up with us on our website or YouTube channel um, 
But what you're going to notice is even as we look at what Paul's going to say, he's going to repeat some of the thoughts and it will give us an opportunity to catch up a little bit in terms of where we've been. So if you have a copy of the Bible, Galatians chapter 5, that's where we are going to be. If you don't have a copy with you, we're going to have the verses up on the screen. If you don't own a physical copy, I realize technology has allowed and afforded us the opportunity to have the Bible um, in our hands in various forms, but we would encourage you to own a physical copy that you can mark up, that you can um, read and, man, just look at in real terms. And so if you don't own one, head to the connection corner after the service, right outside those back doors. Let them know you need a physical copy and we'll be happy to get one to you. But this morning, we are going to um, jump right back in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Um, And here's what it says. You, my brothers, very familiar to verse 1 that we just saw. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is just a reminder to Paul's friends in the province of Galatia of something, again, we've already seen, that Jesus has set you free and has called you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he set you free and called you to live in that freedom. And as we've explored this idea, by the way, we've seen that the idea of freedom is really this idea that Jesus has set us free from anything that would obligate us or restrict us, that would keep us from living fully as we were designed to live by God. You are free from anything preventing you from living the way God desires for you to live. Now... Live like you are free. And a number of things we've seen, by the way, by way of review, but I think this will be helpful as we trampoline forward. We've seen that this freedom Jesus has afforded us is freedom in a variety of different ways. We've seen that we are free from powerlessness. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. We are free from powerlessness. This means that there is nothing with the power to stop you from doing everything that God has called you to do. There is nothing with the power to stop you from living or being what God has called you to be. There's a freedom from powerlessness. This is so great for us to embrace. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. Frankly, it doesn't matter how many attempts you've made and failed. It still is true that Jesus has removed anything that keeps us from living the way God has called us to live. On the cross, Jesus disarmed sin's ability to keep us from saying yes to God. Doesn't mean we, we always will but it means we are free to do that. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking, cross-referencing Romans chapter 6 this morning. But verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body that used to be ruled by sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Sin does not call the shots anymore, which means, church, this idea of I can't is a lie if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He set us free from powerlessness. And so if he says you can forgive, the notion that I can't forgive is a lie. The idea that I can't share my story is a lie. He calls you to be a witness of what Jesus Christ has done. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. It doesn't matter what your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram is. It doesn't matter. There is nothing preventing you from being able to do what he has called you to do. This idea that I can't experience joy is a lie if Jesus has said, no, I've come that you might not just experience joy, but experience joy to the full Anything keeping you from that, that causes you to say, I can't, Jesus has dealt with. Oh, I can't be patient with these kids the Lord keeps giving me. No, if he calls us to be patient, we can be patient. Oh, I, I can't love my boss. I can love your boss. Your boss is nice. My boss a jerk. So I can't. No, if he says you can, then you can. I can't resist this impulse. I can't resist this temptation. No, that I can't is a lie. If he says there is no temptation that has seized you except what's common to man, and every time you attempt it, God will always make sure that there is a way out for you then the idea that I can't resist temptation is a lie. We are free from powerlessness. And Paul would say, now live like it. Stop saying, I can't. Stop living as if you were somehow powerless and you have to give in to the things that used to run the show, the things that used to call the shots. No, Jesus has disarmed sin's power in that way. You were called to be free from powerlessness. And man, we need a church that believes that and starts to live that way. We're free, as we saw last week, from performance. And there's nothing you can do. One of the most difficult truths for the church to embrace, interestingly enough, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. There is no law in this Bible that has the power to make God embrace you anymore or accept you anymore. There is no sin or struggle in your life that will make God change his mind or his posture towards you. None. There is no command in this book that's going to earn you credit with God. The performance and punishment hamster wheel that many of us have lived in has been broken at the cross. We are free from performance. And it's really interesting. We struggle with this. By the way, because we need it. Uh, well, if I can't perform for God, how do I know I'm better than someone else? I mean, that's how we compare. If you give me some way of performing, some way of measuring, if I can't perform for God, then how do I know that I'm better than I was two months ago? 
And yet here's what Paul says, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. He says, for just as through the obedience, just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, thanks a lot, buddy, the many were made sinners because of Adam's sin. So also through the obedience of the one man, that's Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The many will be made righteous. This is Paul's way of telling us that Jesus performed perfectly for God because we couldn't do it. Jesus performed perfectly for God because we couldn't do it. And so he did it on our behalf. So this idea that I must perform to earn God's smile is a lie. You couldn't do it. So Jesus had to do it for us or chose to do it for us. And so now when God looks at me, God smiles, and he doesn't smile because of my behavior. He doesn't smile primarily because of my performance. He smiles because of the perfect performance of Jesus Christ, which got imputed to me, which got imposed, superimposed onto me. This contract of performance and punishment, church, is gone. I love what Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says. For we maintain... That a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. And so Paul's writing to the Galatians and saying, Jesus has set you free from the power of performance. He set you free from this idea of needing to earn God's love, this idea of needing to earn God's acceptance. Jesus has done that for you. Legalism will come in and legalism will say, well, you've got to perform God's law if you're going to earn God's love. And Paul would say, no, Jesus already did all the performing that was required for God. You don't need to wear a sign around your neck that says God will work for love, will work for love, will work for love. Jesus has already done the performing. You're free from performance. You don't have to do anything to get God to love you more. And legalism, by the way, we saw last week, it will exhaust you. This attempting to perform, to win God's favor and to earn, it will exhaust you. And it will replace your joy with shame and exhaustion. Some days God loves me, some days he doesn't. He loves me, he loves me not. Depending on how I behave, I'm tired and I feel shame because I messed up again and I can't keep up and I cannot be perfect for him. I don't know what your earthly father was like. I don't know how the people in your world are, but I know we live in a culture in which we have to perform in order to keep appearances and in order to keep people happy with us. And so we impose that on God and Paul says, break the hamster wheel. You are free from the obligation to perform in that way. And we also saw last week that we are free from punishment. We are free from punishment. If you're a follower of Jesus, God's not mad at you, and God is not going to punish you. Um, My mom, I know, is going to watch this at a later time, but she and I had a conversation over the course of the week just wrestling through this idea like God's not mad at you. That's really hard for us to embrace. 
What do you mean God's not mad at me? But that's the truth of the gospel. God's not mad at you. In fact, mad God is a lie. And mad God will steal your joy and keep you from enjoying freedom. That's why some of us don't know what it is to experience and enjoy freedom. We have a picture of a really cranky, angry God. In Romans chapter 3, when Paul uses the word justified, that a person is justified by faith, that is a powerful word. Justified means declared not guilty. When we believe in Jesus, God pronounces us not guilty as if we hadn't sinned. God pronounces sinful people not guilty. And he tells us someone paid for your sin. Someone paid for your crime. Someone took your sentence. You are free to go justified. Such a beautiful word. That's what Jesus was doing, by the way, on the cross, if you've ever wondered. And I love the way Isaiah describes this as he forecasts Calvary in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, surely he, Jesus, took up our pain and Jesus bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. And here's the gospel of justification. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. Now Isaiah is just using different words for sin and mess and failure. The punishment that brought us peace was on Jesus. And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We are made whole. And then he says in verse 6, We all like sheep. We've messed up. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the sin, the iniquity of us all. This is powerful. That on the cross, Jesus absorbed my sentence, and on the cross, Jesus absorbed my suffering. Even though I deserved it, he absorbed it. Jesus on the cross got punished for my crime. And what I got instead was his peace. What a glorious trade. There is a legal term for this, by the way, um, and the term is double jeopardy. Double jeopardy means that you cannot be tried twice for the same crime. The gospel says that on the cross, this is so beautiful, Jesus was tried and he was sentenced and he was Punished for my sin. Jesus was punished for your sin on the cross. Quick question, by the way. Feel free to answer me out loud. How many of your sins was Jesus punished for on the cross? Mm. I'm going to ask that one more time just to gauge the level of conviction in the room this morning. How many of your sins on the cross was Jesus punished for? Woo! Amen. 
there is a legal term called double jeopardy. God will not try you twice for the same sin. God will not punish you twice for the same crime. If Jesus was tried and sentenced and punished for all of your sin, God is not going to punish you for the sin that Jesus already paid for. That's justification. It means you are free from punishment because Jesus already absorbed all of the punishment. Jesus, by the way, is so much better than you know. And I think we struggle with this. And yet, here's what we're going to see as we continue in the book of Galatians. Is you cannot actually start to live for God until you understand what it means that Jesus died for you. Otherwise, you're going to be in this exhausting place of trying to do the job Jesus already did. Which is impossible, which just leaves you tired. But I love this, that we are free from punishment. This idea that God is mad is just going to rob you of your joy. God is going to punish me. He's going to rob you of your joy. And I'm telling you, that's where many of us are. We live in this constant relationship of fear. Like I messed up again, and now God is just waiting to zap me. And I finally did the thing he's been waiting for me to do so he can zap me for my sin. And I'm always just living on edge and never living in joy and never living in freedom because I'm living in fear. And Paul would say, you cannot live enjoying the freedom if you're living fearing the punishment of God, which was poured out and exhausted on the person of Jesus Christ. Tell your soul double jeopardy and start to find yourself enjoying freedom in him. A little more. So here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul reminds the Galatians and all of us in turn. Look at what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Free from powerlessness, free from performance, free from punishment. And that's just the start of it. And then he says, do not give up your freedom. I mean, he's, you, you saw that in the last couple of weeks. You are free. Then Paul's going to turn the corner here, and he's going to warn the Galatians of another threat to their freedom. In his commitment to see them enjoying freedom, he's about to introduce another threat to their freedom. And it's an old church word called license. License. Um, when it comes to the law of God, um, there is what I would call a, a threat continuum. There's this threat continuum when it comes to the law of God. On the one extreme, there's a threat called legalism. Um, and legalism is using God's law to try and earn God's love. If I can perform enough, if I can do enough, if I can just work hard enough, I'm going to earn God's love. And if I don't, then it's going to punish me. Legalism. Using God's law to earn God's love. Legalism will steal your joy. But on the other extreme of this threat continuum 
is this idea of license. If legalism is the attempt to earn God's love using God's law, then license is this idea of using God's love to break God's law. If Jesus paid for all my sin, then blank check, baby. I can now go sin as much as I want. If you're telling me that Jesus has paid for all of my crimes, then somebody get out of my way. I'm about to go on a major crime spree. Double jeopardy, he's not going to punish me for the same sin twice. So I can perform and commit this sin as much as I want. Thank you, Jesus. License. I can do whatever I want because the law is not going to condemn me to God. So now I'm just going to, I mean, after all, I'm just going to do what I want any old time. It's my life after all. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just, I just want to live while I'm alive. Life's in like an open highway. That's a, 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 a John Bon Jovi song, by the way. Um, some of you are too young and uh, some of you are too old, but whatever. <laughs> um, Paul tells them, no, legalism and license are BFFs, and both of them will rob you of your freedom. Both of them will steal your joy. And here's how he says it. Look at the second part of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Oh, you're free, brothers and sisters. But, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Um, indulge is this really cool, it's this old military term uh, that describes a base of operations. Um, indulge is a word that speaks about the base from which a, a military unit will launch its attack. That's the word he's using. And it's just his way of saying, hey, listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus has set you free. He has unshackled you from obligation. He has unshackled you from fear. He has unshackled you from restriction. You are free. That is now the base of your operations. You now get to launch an attack on the life. You now get to launch out and live how you want. But be very, very careful that you do not use your freedom as a launching pad into gratifying your flesh. Uh, the word flesh is a word that's often translated sinful nature in other places. It's speaking about our natural impulses. It's speaking about our natural appetites apart from God. It's speaking about the things that we desire that we believe are going to bring us gratification, that we believe are going to bring us safety, 
things that we believe are going to bring us pleasure, even though God says, do not do that. The flesh. And what Paul is saying, and again, we'll see this, and this is, I love the way Paul lays this out because this is how the church ought to understand the gospel. See, we like to start the gospel with a bunch of rules, but Paul starts the gospel with freedom and grace. And he says, now that you have freedom, I am telling you, do not spend your freedom in figuring out ways to gratify your natural appetites and to figure out ways to find greater pleasure opposed to the things that God calls you to, that God says. Do not use your freedom to launch into license with which you break the law of God. Paul says, don't do that. This is so powerful, um, as we study it, and by, by the way, um, we learned some of Paul's rationale and why he would say this in some of his other teachings. Uh, I think Romans 6, again, is one really central place in which we start to understand the way Paul thinks about freedom and the way he thinks about grace and the way he thinks um, about this idea of indulging the flesh. Um, and it's, it's powerful as you think about what Paul is saying. Don't indulge the sinful nature. Well, this is me, maybe not you. I'm like, why not, Paul? And as you study Paul's teaching, uh, there are a number of reasons he gives, but I want to highlight two reasons before we move on. Number one, because um, sin is unwise. Using your freedom... To indulge in sin is just unwise. <laughs> it just is. Um, it, it's, okay, so Jesus, I'm sorry. So, so here's the gospel, right? I mean, the gospel says that, that Jesus just did my time for my crimes. And Jesus just took my punishment to Shawshank me from slavery. And Paul would say, why would you choose to walk out and go back to the very crimes that got you here in the first place? That's not wise. Why would you say, Jesus, thank you so much for dying for my sin and setting me free. So now I'm going to go back and start living out the very sins for which you died. Paul would say, that doesn't make sense. There is no wisdom in using your freedom for sin. He says, no way. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 6. And again, as you start to understand this, I pray shackles will start to fall from our hearts, fall from our souls. As you start to understand the way the Bible speaks about freedom and speaks about grace. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says this. What shall we then say? This is how you know grace has been preached well. Because people start to say, so you're saying I can do whatever. Okay, now you're starting to understand freedom. What shall we then say, Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because it's tempting to think that. And then he says in verse 2, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. 
how can we honestly live in sin any longer? Jesus died for it, and when he died for it, we died with him to sin. Why would we go back to the very things for which Jesus died and to which we died? And Paul would call that unwise. Christ has set us free from it. Let's not choose to live in the very thing for which Jesus died. The other thing Paul um, talks about quite a little bit is not just the idea that using a license, and you, I mean using our freedom for sin is unwise, but using freedom for sin is slavery. It's not just dumb, it's slavery. It's like Jesus gets you out of slavery, and again, he breaks you out of prison. And now you're free. <laughs> so you walk out the back door into freedom, and you just breathe in the fresh air of freedom. You're like, yes! And then you walk around the front, and then you knock on the door and say, hey, uh, can I see the warden? Hey, Mr. Warden, just wondering, do you have any open cells? I'm looking for somewhere to live. I am volunteering myself back into the very prison from which I just was broken out. That's what sin is like. Paul tells the Romans something I think we don't talk about enough. Sin is slavery. I know we like to talk about sin in terms of judgment and punishment. Paul's very practical. He says, yeah, but sin is slavery. Here's how he says it. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. And this is how you know he preached grace great, because this is a question he anticipates. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Did you know you're not under law but under grace? Okay. He says, shall we keep on sinning because we're not under law but under grace? Again, by no means. Don't you know, he says, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Oh, no. What Paul is saying is, did you know that whatever you indulge in owns you? Whatever you give into will keep you in. If you give into your sinful appetites, they will eventually own you. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying, do you realize that if you use your freedom to go back to sin, then you're going to be enslaved by the very sin from which you were set free. You are going back around and saying, okay, warden, now this time I'm coming freely. Please incarcerate me. If you give in to your natural impulses, if you give in to your anger, your anger will own you. And some of us are in that space where we have let anger consume and own us, and it's darkened our world, it's closed us in, and we can't move like we used to. If you give in to, to the drink, 
The drink will own you. And before you know it, you cannot say no to the drink. And the irony is you started drinking because I'm 21 and I'm free and I can do whatever I want at forces. But you realize that what you run to is eventually going to stick you to itself. If you use your freedom to cut, or you use your freedom to indulge in lust, or you use your freedom to indulge in, in food, eating, or you use your freedom to indulge in social media, like I'm free, so I'm just going to social media myself. Before you know it, social media becomes your warden. You cannot go to sleep until it says you can. You don't know who you are until you get a like. You can't live anymore until you get the permission of that thing that you used your freedom to enjoy. And Paul would say, I'm telling you, do not use your freedom as a base to launch into license because whatever you launch into is going to own you. And sin is a terrible master. That's why Jesus broke you from it in the first place. And while you scream, I'm free, the chains will be tightening on you. That's why some of us are addicted. We can't move like we used to. Our freedom's been stolen by the license we indulged in because we were free. And now we're stuck. Feels like you can't do what God has called you to do. You can't see clearly anymore. You don't remember how to dream anymore. You don't care about the lost because you're so bitter and bent on payback. You can't see very much of anything else. You're stingy. You don't live generously. You got to put it all on red. And all of a sudden, that owns you. So the question is, okay, but if I'm free then, and I'm free then, how do I know what things won't enslave me? How do I know what things won't restrict me all over again? How do I know what things won't obligate me and keep me from living fully? And you know what Paul would say? I'll tell you how you know. Behold the law of God. It's this beautiful full circle Paul takes us around. And by the way, God is so good. And um, I think we forget that when we primarily choose as his followers to view him as the judge instead of primarily viewing him as our daddy. See, when God is a judge, then his laws are designed to restrict us and to trap us and to get us in trouble so he can punish us and be like, got them, ha! And that's the picture we have of God. But when he is our daddy, then all of a sudden his rules become these guardrails that lead us towards fullness of life. They become these guardrails that keep us from falling into places where our wings get clipped. I know dads here in the room, you are not the dad of the year. I know that, because I am, but um, I'm kidding. But isn't that true, that, that those of us who are dads in the room, uh, 
we don't give our kids rules to restrict them. We don't give our kids rules to make their lives miserable. We don't, we don't give our kids laws to imprison them. We actually give our kids laws so they don't end up in prison. Like we actually give our kids rules, and many of us, because we don't want them to make the same mistakes we've made, we don't want them to go down the same paths that we went down. We give them rules because we want them to exceed us. We want them to do better than we did. And even though we don't do it perfectly, our desire as fallen dads is to help them. How much more a perfect daddy in heaven who loves us perfectly. When I start to view him as daddy, all of a sudden, his laws aren't designed to restrict me. His laws are designed to lead me to green pastures, to lead me to places where I'm finally learning what does it mean to enjoy my freedom? What are the things that actually won't trap me and keep me and hold me in prison cells? And he'll say, I'll tell you, if you obey my law, you are going to find yourself living fully. You're going to find yourself living more freely. And then I love Paul. Paul is my favorite, no offense, but Matthew, John, or or Luke, or any of those other guys. I love what Paul says. Paul says, if you have any question about then, if I'm free, what should I spend my freedom on? He says, if you are free, use your freedom to obey the law of God. Now you're not obeying the law because you're trying to earn God's love. You're obeying the law because he has loved you. But here's the crazy thing. There are about 613 laws, and Paul says, let me do you all a favor. If you want to enjoy your freedom, obey the law of God. And I'll make it really simple for you. Instead of the 613, let me summarize it and just give you one law. Love people. Love people. You want to know what it means to enjoy your freedom? Start to figure out what it means to use your freedom as a launching point into loving people. This is crazy, right? Um, He says that here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Um, Well, in verse 14, but we'll start the second part of verse 13. He says, hey, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Well, what should I do with my freedom? He says, obey the law. Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not spend your freedom on legalism. It will rob you of your joy. Do not spend your freedom on license. It will enslave you and rob you of your joy. Instead, spend your freedom in figuring out how to love people. That is the fulfillment of God's law. And if you do that, you're going to find yourself starting to enjoy your freedom like never before. If your freedom becomes a base from which you are figuring out how to love people. Not so God will love you more, but because God has loved you perfectly. And when you broke out of Shawshank, you're like, I'm free. And Jesus gave himself for my freedom. What can I do with this freedom except pay it forward? Except figure out what does it look like to now love other people the way I've been loved? And in doing that, find myself enjoying the very freedom that he has given me. And if the one law to love gets really complicated, Paul makes it even simpler. Hey, a simple way to think about it is love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you're ever stuck on, so what does it look like to use my freedom in the most beautiful and brilliant ways possible? Paul would say, well, I treat people the way you would treat yourself if you were in their situation. So they're hungry. If you were hungry, what would you do for you? If you were struggling, what would you do for you? If you were addicted, what would you do for you? If you were the kid and you messed up, what would you do for you? And come on, kids, if you were the parent, what would you do for you? Just mouth off to yourself the whole time. Now, I suspect you wouldn't. So do for your parents what you would do if you were the parent and you got to choose. Why? Because love is the summary of the law. And then when the whole conversation is done, Paul says, the law has no power to make God love you anymore. But the law has the power to make you enjoy the love of God more. The law is not something that you disregard and start to live in a license. No, use your freedom to love the people around you. And as you start to do that, you will find yourself more and more free. And try it. Figure out who are the happiest people. Who seem to be the freest people? That the most carefree people, and I guarantee you it's people who are really generous, people who are really loving, people who are helping the broken, people whose lives are being poured out the way Christ's love was poured out on us. Um, Team, why don't you guys come on out and we'll do a a song together as we close. And then as we continue this conversation, you see Paul is going to turn the corner and start to help us live this out because it's not easy. And he's going to bring some beautiful light to what this actually looks like, what this works out to look like in our lives. But this morning, even as we close... My curiosity is where is the spirit of the living God wanting to unshackle you? Where is the spirit of the living God maybe wanting to re-unshackle you in places he unshackled you and you just went back to it and now you found yourself stuck? And if you're honest and this felt like a safe place, you talk about places you can no longer say no. You don't feel like you can say no. And I just want to declare again, no, I can't say no is a lie. There is power in Jesus and in his spirit to unshackle us and allow us to live freely. But we have to admit, I went back to a place and I got stuck. Jesus, would you come get me? And some of us have gotten stuck, and so what have we done? What we know, perform, perform, perform. And we've tried really, really hard to implement this and implement that. And there are places where we need to do that. But the primary thing we need to do is cry out. The same Savior who got us out in the first place is so keen to come back and say, why are we here again? But yet here I am again. I don't know where the Spirit is calling you to respond. And for some of us, it's just this picture of an angry God. He's always mad at you. And your relationship with God is one of fear. It's does he love me? Does he love me not? And I just, maybe for you, what you need this morning is just to declare 
God, I choose to believe your love for me based on Jesus. And maybe there's some of you who are still carrying your sin and you're still shackled to sin because you've never come to Jesus in the first place. What a great day for you to come to Jesus and say, would you forgive me? I want to experience this double jeopardy thing. I want to experience my sin being paid for on the cross so that I don't have to pay for it in the end. I don't know what the Spirit is saying, but what I do know is can we not do that thing where we go to church every week, we listen to a message, and then we grade it. How did the preacher perform? Forget how I performed. What's the Spirit of God asking you to do in response? You didn't come here by accident. He doesn't want you to just leave like every other week. What does He want you to do? How is He calling you to respond? How does he want to set you into spaces where you can enjoy your freedom a little bit or more? So if you need to pray with somebody, elders, if you're in the room, would you please come to the front, um, even as we stand to sing this last song. If there's small group leaders, if you would please just come to the front. If you need someone to pray with and just be honest with and say, I need the Spirit of God to break some things in my life. I need the Spirit of God to open my eyes and to convince me of who Jesus is. Please come. There are men and women who will be happy to agree with you. Um, up here. If you need to just turn to somebody next to you and just beg them to pray with you, I'd encourage you to do that. But don't leave before you've responded as the Spirit would have you respond. So I'd invite you to feel free to stand as the team leads us. Again, you don't have to stand. You can sit. You can kneel. Um, you can sing. You can think. Respond as the Spirit would have you respond.